It's good to see y'all here this morning. I hope, I hope that as you came in, you were uh, received a bulletin. If you have a bulletin, go on, hold it up, hold it up, hold those bulletins up. That's good. If you didn't get one of those, it's important that you get one. There's a lot of good information in there. Um, and if you are a visitor this morning, it's so good to have you here. If you would like more information from us about Cornerstone, and you have questions or anything like that. You can ask anybody that's here, or you can tear off that visitor flap on your, on your uh, bulletin and just stick it in the offering when the offering comes around. One thing I want to mention is that in a little while when the offering comes around, a reminder, there are two offerings. The first one will be our regular offering, and the second one will be our love offering for the month. So um, just look for that when it comes around. Right now, I'm going to call up Rod Clarkson. Rod, uh, on his way up here, everybody give him a big hand because Rod has done so much work along with our deacons and our elders on this land thing, and uh, he's got some good stuff to tell you, so listen. Thank you. Uh, we're, uh, we're getting closer. It's not quite a done deal yet, and that's why we, we hesitate to get the expectations too high, but just to give you a little update on the church building, uh, we've been working on it for a number of weeks, and we've got a... Um, uh, kind of come to a meeting of the minds uh, between the, the seller and uh, Cornerstone here uh, as far as price goes and so forth. Uh, we have a few other things to work out. One of the things we're trying to do, as we mentioned before, there's another building on the property that creates income, would create income for us to the tune of about $5,900 a month. What we're trying to do is get that piece of ground also tax-free so that we wouldn't have any property taxes on it uh, uh, as part of the whole church ground. Uh, so uh, also some of that will have depend on what kind of, whether we do a, a mortgage with these with the seller or whether it's called a land contract. I'm not going to get into the different differences there. However, we're going to go down this week to the uh, Polk County Assessor's Office. I'm going down with the, uh, with the seller of the property and just see if we can get some clarification. It would be a great thing to us if, uh, if that other building is be part of our whole complex and so would not have any property taxes on it. Again, we would have to pay income on the $5,900 a month that we get off that building, but uh, that's what we're trying to work out. He has instructed uh, uh, the guy that's helping help represent him not to show the property to anybody else. Uh, he's told us, uh, told us that uh, you know, everything's good. His partner is in agreement. So everything's looking pretty good. Um, we'll probably 
redo a new purchase agreement this week. His son happens to be a lawyer, probably did a better job of it than I did, so or will do, so we'll, we'll let, let him do it, and then uh, we'll look it over and make sure everything's correct. So we're getting, uh, getting closer. Keep praying for this because this is really would really be a great thing. It would be an exciting time for our church. So um, bottom line, we're at right now $1,222,000 would be the purchase price. Uh, we have a $300,000 piece of land that he will take for a down payment uh, on the property and trade, and he will finance the building for us. So that's a pretty good deal. So we'd be borrowing about $922,000 at 5.5% interest, which he finally agreed on. His partner wanted a higher interest rate. And so we got that uh, down at 5.5% on a 20-year payout. So we're really, really close. Hopefully by next Sunday we can say it's a done deal and we can get to work. But we're making good progress. These things just aren't done overnight. So that's that. And um, Heather's going to come up and talk about uh, Friends Sunday. So go ahead, Heather. Thank you, Rod. Okay. Two weeks from today is Friends Sunday. Raise your hand if you have already invited a friend. Look around. Don't, don't be shy. Be bold. If you have invited a friend, raise your hand. Okay. That's not very many. That's kind of disappointing. I thought I would see more people doing that. I really did. Um, it's going to be a good Sunday, you guys. A couple weeks ago, I was at a meeting with Carrie and Brent. And Carrie had said that before they came to Cornerstone, they had tried out a lot of churches. And she said Cornerstone was set apart. What a compliment. A couple days later, I was at Brianna Hall's shower, and it was your typical cornerstone shower. We ate, we prayed, we had a word from a godly woman about how to be a wife, and she spoke from the word and was very encouraging. And then all the women got in their circle, and Bri opened up presents and passed it around. Very typical shower for me. And so I asked Bri, I said, I go, so how'd you, how'd you come out with the shower, you know, thinking about all the presents? And she didn't even acknowledge the gift. She said, my mom and I were brought to tears. We have never been to a shower like that, where they actually spoke the word of God, where they encouraged me as a wife what God would want me to do for my husband. And to me, I was like, "What? that's what you're supposed to do at showers. But that's what we do at Cornerstone. And then I thought, you know what? Friend Sunday came into play, and I thought, man, we got to stop being so selfish. we got a good thing here to offer people out there. Every one of you has someone who is hurting. Every one of you has someone who is healing in your life. Every one of you has a friend who might need a family. And I know every one of you has someone who needs a savior. Actually, some of you right now, God might be telling you who that person is. And you need to listen and obey. Two things we need. We need boldness and we need love. But the great thing is you already have boldness and you already have love, right? Christ is in us, right? So we just needed to acknowledge that boldness and acknowledge that love and use that to invite our friends to come because this is big. This is huge, you guys. See, I think, I think of this. this. This blows my mind. God loves me. God loves me. Of course he loves me. I've been to church my whole life. I love him. I serve him. Of course he loves me. But he loves me as much as he loves them. Those people who don't even know him. We need to have the realization that those people that don't know him aren't going to live with him forever. When you realize that and you love them, then you need to acknowledge the boldness that you have. And we need to invite them to church. Because when they come to church, we are blessed. They are blessed. And God is glorified. 
He's glorified. Don't, don't we want to be, we got to stop being so selfish. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to bring them in. And we've got two weeks to do that. So this week, this is the week to invite that person. Because next week, you have to remind them. Next week, you have to remind them. And you're inviting them because you love them and because you love God. Because why? He first loved us. So please stop being selfish. We need to stop being selfish. Friend Sunday is going to be awesome. It's going to be shorter. No, I'm just kidding. It really is going to be shorter. Um, and then after our shortened service, it's only going to be an hour long, we're going to have a meal. So make sure you tell your friends that. Come for a meal. And for those of you who are new, this is going to be a great opportunity to just pretend you don't know anyone and just meet everyone, okay? So when you come to this Friends Sunday, introduce them to anyone you know. Let's get away from our cliques and our friends and expound and reach out, okay? This is going to be a great, great thing. And we praise God and we thank God that this is in play. So again, two weeks. This is the week to invite the friend this week, okay? So next week, Nick or whoever's going to make the announcement is going to ask, how many of you invited a friend? And I would like to see it tripled, okay? Let's do that. We can definitely do that. Amy Harrison is going to come up now and give us a report of Camp Elam. Let's give her a hand. All right. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Um, Mike and I, thank you, um, are working at Camp Elam, if many of you don't know, and we are, there's Colorado Springs in Denver, you know, and we're way on the other side of the mountain, so way up there. Let's blow you there. Um, Mike and I are very honored to be a part of such a God-honoring ministry such as Camp Elam. We feel very blessed to be a part of what God is doing while serving those who come to camp all year round. Next slide. If you're curious about what Camp Elam is and why it exists, here is our mission and vision. Our mission is Camp Elam exists to provide a Christ-centered, youth-oriented retreat environment that encourages evangelism, spiritual growth, and training in order to develop followers of Jesus that impact their home, church, and the world. And our vision is that every leader, a discipler, every staff member, a servant, Every camper, a follower of Christ, all year round. Next slide. The history of Camp Elam is just, that, that I'm telling you here is just a little tiny bit of it. In 1960, Camp Elam began leasing the land we currently are using from the Forest Service. Um, although it was called Camp Ewing back then, in March of 1961, Camp Elam received the name Elam, and it came from Exodus 15:27, which states, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So we at Camp Elam really desire for our place to be an oasis uh, for those who attend, uh, just as it was for the Israelites. Before 1960, so before it was Camp Elam, a lot of people used to lease, um, before we started leasing the land, Many people started using um, a place called Colorado Camp of the Rockies, and they would have retreats and weekend um, events and things. So it goes way back before 1960 um, that a lot of people who really loved the Lord got together and wanted to learn about him and serve him and figure out what that means. So next slide. 
Many people think of camp ministry as strictly a summertime activity um, with not much to prepare for during the rest of the year. But what many don't realize is many camps, just like Camp Elam, are serving and renting out their facilities all year round. So, all year. Um, Hence the need for the seven full-time staff members currently at Camp Elam right now. Micah is one of those full-time staff members. I'm not one of them. I get to serve our family full-time and volunteer time and energy at camp, encouraging the high school girls, driving kids to Starbucks on their breaks, giving our house and couch as an oasis from, the, from camp when kids are on break, giving, our, um, giving of lots of our time, creating, mailing, creating and mailing out our newsletters, presentations, writing thank yous, etc. So that's kind of how I get to serve, and Micah gets paid to do all the other things I'll tell you later. Um, we also have um, a lot of people um, that are needed during the summer and um, during the year. And so we have 60 to 70 actual volunteers um, who are mainly high school and college-age kids, although many families come to volunteer as well. We also have a grandma and grandpa out at camp, and um, they've been there the last few summers, and they help with maintenance needs and laundry and other hospitality needs. Um, Up on the slide there, it says, In 1961, during its first years of camp, There were five weeks of camp during the entire year and 240 total campers. In 2011, 50 years later, we had 1,696 total summer and winter campers, and we had 90 total assurances and rededications and served 48 different groups in 2011. So praise God. It's really awesome. Um, We also, just a fun fact, Micah thought I should share, is that um, the plates that were served, so however many times a plate was given to somebody for, to eat, was 49,445. So that's a lot of plates. Next slide. Camp Elam is really beautiful, so you should come visit. Um, Camp Elam sits on 14 acres of forest service land. <coughs> Excuse me. We have lots of red sand and very tall ponderosa pines and aspen trees. We are located eight miles from the city of Woodland Park and about 45 minutes from any Target or other real store. So that was a shocker for me. During just one week of camp, Camp Elam is equipped to serve and bunk 120 campers and 70-plus full-time volunteer staff. Our nine weeks of camp during the summer include multiple elementary, middle school, and high school weeks. Each week lasts from Sunday afternoon until Friday evening. It used to last till Saturday afternoon, so we're happy now. It's Friday night. We have some family time. So, um, Otherwise, his uh, oh, during the summer, Micah has Tuesday evenings off, Saturdays and Sunday mornings off to go to church. So otherwise, his first service of the day is facilitating both of the daily morning 7.30 a.m. chapel meetings. All of the staff members, which is that 60 to 70 volunteers, um, they all attend these meetings. They are the senior and junior counselors, maintenance, kitchen, dining room, full-time staff, and other volunteers who attend um, those meetings. There's a lot of other random people. Uh, Micah's last activity at night, obviously with lots in between all of that, um, is the nightly devotions and activities with the volunteer high school and college staff who are not counseling that particular week. 
He usually come ho- comes home and goes right to bed about 10.30 at night, um, unless something else comes up, which is commonplace at camp. Next slide. Here are some of the activities that are available at camp um, for our elementary, middle school, and high schoolers. There's archery, tubing, the rock wall, swimming pool, obstacle course, high ropes, challenge course, crafts, canoeing, and much more. The kids really love all of that. This spring, we just installed a 26-foot-high high ropes course, and it'll be available for our older groups. And this fall or next spring, we're going to add to that a low ropes for our younger campers and our school groups. Did I mention we also have school groups who come to camp? Next slide. Um, we, Micah's job is, he's a full-time staff member, but his official title is Spiritual Ministries Coordinator and Assistant to Director Intern. So it's very, very long. Um, we have a contract with Camp Elam for two years, uh, meaning this summer, we'll be there all summer, through the year, and then next summer. But we are both very open to staying longer if that's what the Lord has for us. We really love being out at camp. We've been blessed to find a local church, um, Impact. It's only seven miles from us, and we have been meeting with friends from around town connected to the camp and church. We really love our small group, and this next week we're going to have dinner with another young couple from our small group who has a -a one-and-a-half-year-old named Lane. So they're a really fun family, and we love getting connected with the church. It feels more like home now. Um, Back to Micah's job. He facilitates and carries out many of the needs involved with the chapel building. You can see that up there on the screen. Um, The chapel seats up to 160 people, and Micah works with the soundboard, assisting program speakers and musicians. He sets up and tears down chairs with the help of other people um, for each camp, and he rearranges many times a day for their various needs. He keeps the coffee maker and other drinks stocked in the chapel and also keeps the bathrooms in tip-top shape. Next slide. Micah's also joyfully involved in the lives of staff, the high school and college summer and winter volunteer staff. He's constantly reevaluating, creating new activities and devotional ideas. He planned the end of the the summer um, party last year and will this year as well. The staff also had a life-size clue party this winter, and it was really a lot of fun. He... um, He also planned various activities throughout the school year, such as coffee stain letters, where a lot of the high school and college groups that live around, they write letters to their campers that they had during the summer. So we get to get together and help out the campers. Um, And we also had game nights at various coffee shops around the springs in Denver. Micah actively coordinates and leads devotions for summer and winter retreats for staff as well. He's currently preparing a book study through James for the staff who are not at camp during a certain week during the summer or our counseling and can't make the nightly devotions with the rest of the volunteer staff. This way they'll be able to be thinking on and studying the same things that we are um, studying while at camp. Um, And it's a really great idea and I really like him. Okay. Um, He's in charge of meeting with girls and boys staff supervisors. The staff supervisors are one male and one female who are college age and they're in charge of all the non-counseling volunteer high school and college staff the entire summer. They work with and, are, and encourage spiritually the volunteer staff. And Micah is over um, assisting the staff supervisors, the one boy and the one girl, in whatever they need throughout the entire summer. 
they'll get to be very close and get to work um, together very closely. So you can pray um, for unity with all of that because um, it's a really amazing opportunity to dig into young people and get to encourage them in their spiritual walks. So please pray for unity that um, they'll all be able to get along. And our boy staff supervisor, um, we're still praying um, that this one guy will say, yes, I will definitely do it. So please pray about that. Um, This summer, the staff is praying for countries all around the world and going through the book of James and learning what it means that faith without works is dead. And true religion is helping orphans and widows in their distress. The staff will introduce... Um, will be introduced to many of the world issues such as human trafficking, poverty, and drug addiction, um, and many more. We pray God will spark a desire to be world changers in whatever way the Lord leads them. We really desire to make disciples of all nations, as Jesus commanded. Mike and I really love working with these young people. Some other things he's involved in is finding speakers and worship leaders. He assists in kitchen needs and interviews new summer volunteer staff helps guest groups on high ropes and outdoors activities. He designed the 31 Days of Prayer, which um, is out on the tables back there, if you'd like to pick up one of those and pray for us during the summer. And he also put together Footnotes, which is a mini information packet for all the campers. It has devotionals, schedules, and fun facts. Oh, and he just does anything that really needs to be done. Uh, Next slide. This is um, a picture of our life at camp. This is our cabin and our car, so everything we own. And we live in this one-room cabin at the top of camp, complete with our little bathroom. And we go over to another building um, where we share a kitchen, a fridge, and a washer and dryer with the Polly's, and they live in cabin one just to the left there. And they're newlyweds as well. They got married in September. Uh, Next slide. These are our birds. Richie and Charlie, and uh, we love them a lot, and we named them after our dads, so they were really excited about that. (laughs) Next slide. This is Pikes Peak. It's uh, 0.8 miles from our house, and um, we are really blessed to live in such a beautiful place. That picture was taken 0.8 miles. Next slide. This is Mueller State Park. It's only 30 minutes from our house, and you can see the Continental Divide out there. Next slide. This is 11 Mile Canyon um, near Lake George. And these are, you know, pictures so you can come visit. Okay. Are you tempted? Next slide. We were able to go see the Broadway show Wicked with a lot of people, and it was so much fun um, in Denver. Next slide. Here's some places we go around town. Um, We don't have internet at our house. So we go to McDonald's or Starbucks or Gold Hill Java for um, internet and coffee. Um, And then we like to go to Goodwill. And I put that dinosaur one up there because Micah has yet to take me to the dinosaur museum. Next slide. This is just so you can kind of see how things are built out there. Um, It's definitely a mountain town. So that's our Walmart. Next slide. These are some animals I almost hit with our car. And uh, you can pray for safety on the road for us. Next slide. This is um, some animals I did not almost hit on the road, but have been at camp. Next slide. Oh, and Mama Bear was at the dumpsters the other day. 
so that was kind of scary. Um, we really need you to pray for us. We're really in need of your prayers. The Lord's been doing a lot of amazing things at camp, and we're blessed to be a part of it, but we really need you to be praying for us. Um, you can sign up for our monthly email and snail mail newsletters outside on the table. You can also pick up a picture of us. It has a calendar as well, um, and those are all out there. Um, the snail mail and the newsletter or the email, they're completely different. So if you only sign up for one, you'll miss out on some fun information. Um, next slide. You're also able to support Mike and I in a financial way while at camp. We are half salary and half donation, and we're currently $700 short in our monthly support. Don't believe our newsletter. It says 800 The Lord provided recently more financial support, and we're really blessed. He's faithful in taking care of us each month in many different ways, but we wanted to be honest with you about our financial needs as well. Currently, we're living on campgrounds for free in our one-room cabin you saw, which we love. Although we enjoy our home and life, we do not have consistent income to rent an apartment in Woodland Park or start a family in the distant future. Yes, distant. Okay. At least that's the plan. If you're interested in giving, to, in giving, go online to CampElam.com or please send a check to Mike and Amy uh, Harrison at the following address on the screen. And if you'd like um, your gift to be tax deductible, please make the check out to Camp Elam and write the Harrisons in the memo line. We would be happy to answer any questions individually. Next slide. This is just our contact information, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, we don't have Internet or TV and all that stuff, and communication is hard with our cell phones, so um, we'll try to get back to you as soon as possible, but um, just be patient with us. Um, we love you, and we thank you so much for listening and for praying for us. Thanks. Thanks, Amy. As we sing this next song, the offering is going to come around. It's uh, ironic. This song is called Empty Me. Um, we don't mean ask God to empty your pockets. Um, but what we mean is God says, if you don't humble yourself, he's going to humble you. And so our prayer is uh, this morning that God would see that our desire to be empty of ourselves and filled with him. And he has blessed us so much. So now is just a chance to give back to him. There's going to be two offerings coming around. morning. Uh, welcome to Cornerstone. We have some visitors this morning. We're so glad to have you with us, and we hope to see much more of you. And uh, hopefully uh, this is a place you could find a, a place at and, and call your home, your spiritual uh, church family and home. We, we would love to, uh, it would be our privilege to serve you and be a part of your lives in that way. Uh, this morning we come to sort of a climax in our, in chapter four in our series on the first half of the Old Testament book of Daniel. We still have one more week to go, chapter 6, with the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, we're going to skip chapter 5. I'll explain why in just a minute. We have uh, had one character in each of the first three chapters who have been very prominent. And you're probably thinking, well, Daniel, right? Well, uh, Daniel wasn't in chapter 3. At least I didn't notice it. And uh, I don't know where he was when it came time to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. He must have been out of town or something, I guess. But uh, 
the main character besides Daniel, if you look in each of those chapters, is King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is really the climax of his story. It's really his testimony. Uh, and, and I'm going to go with the VeggieTales shortened version of his name, King Nezer, because I'm going to have to say his name about 50 times. And if I have to say Nebuchadnezzar 50 times, it's really going to trip me up. I, I sometimes say words backwards when I have to say that, so you can ask Jesselyn. But, uh, king Nezer had quite the kingdom and was quite a king. Uh, he had conquered the nations of the known world at that time. His kingdom was the greatest. He was the greatest king. He um, was also a very prideful king. And he had some very unusual experiences brought on by God to teach him how there was a most high God in heaven, more high than him, more powerful than him and his false gods. Well, in chapter 1 was the story of Daniel. He was captured, brought to Babylon at age 16, brought 900 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. And they trained him and his three friends and some of the other uh, young men that they brought to serve in the kingdom. And Daniel and his friends right away refused to defile themselves with the king's meat and wine, eating only vegetables instead. And they were found to be healthier and ten times wiser than all Nezer's wise men. But uh, Nezer didn't recognize this as a result of their God. And then in chapter 2, you'll remember how God gave Nezer a troubling dream. And none of his wise men could interpret the dream, let alone first tell the king what the dream was. That's what the king said. First tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. And they said, no one can do that. Well, and then Daniel was brought in. He, uh, he first prayed. And then he was, received the dream, the meaning of the dream from God. And he went in before the king and all the wise men were spared because of Daniel being able to interpret the dream. And in chapter 2, verse 47, Nezer said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. But he, even though he acknowledges Daniel's God as a, as a powerful, wise God, he still doesn't accept him as his personal God. And then in chapter 3, Nezer builds this 90-foot statue of himself and has all the leaders from his greater kingdom come and bow down and worship it. Either... I don't know, forgot what happened with Daniel's dream or was just maybe impressed at the interpretation, but he, he didn't really believe Daniel's God was the most high God. It wasn't his personal God yet. And then after the three men, the young men came out of the fiery furnace alive, didn't even smell like smoke. It was, it was a miracle. And uh, they had already told the king that, you know, even if we don't survive this, we'll never bow down to your statue. You know, we worship the most high God. So then Nezer... In chapter 3, verses 26 to 30, he acknowledges the three men as servants of the Most High God. He then blesses their God, and he makes a decree that anyone who said anything against their God would be cut to pieces and their houses made an ash heap. Because, he says, there is no other God who can deliver like this. But yet, he still doesn't accept Nezer's, uh, Daniel's God as the Most High God, as his personal God. So you think he'd seen enough of God's signs and wonders to believe and worship the Most High God, but he's a very prideful man, a very prideful king. And in chapter 4, we read in verses 29 to 30 this morning about him walking around his royal palace of Babylon and declaring, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? You just see him beaming with pride. And it was a great city. It was a fantastic city. The walls around it were just enormous. Um, unbelievable, really. You could drive four chariots side by side along the top of them. 
there was the, you remember one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there, in Nezer's time of Babylon, the Hanging Gardens, right? Uh, so it was a beautiful place, and he's looking out over it. Isn't this great city, the one I have built by my mighty power? And you can just see the, himself exuding the pridefulness, the, the ultimate pridefulness of the human heart. And you just kind of wonder how much of a knucklehead he can be, you know? And uh, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And he's going to have a great fall. And Proverbs 3.34, surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. And we'll also get to see that. Because God is going to teach him one great final lesson, one that would leave no doubt in his mind that there is a most high God in heaven, that he's the boss, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, and that there is no one like it. And and by the end of this chapter, uh, Nezer is, I think, a a believer and kind of gives away the ending, but it's exciting and I want to give you something to look forward to. This is an exciting chapter. Uh, so we're not going to cover chapter 5, uh, partly kind of because of timing. We want to finish by the end of the month. And really it's also part 2 of this chapter. It's Nezer's son, or maybe grandson, Belshazzar. And he's also very prideful, just like his father was. And, his king, and that's his downfall as well. And, and so you can read it for yourself. It's in your Bible. Um, but it, it doesn't turn out as well for Belshazzar, unfortunately, as it does for Nezer this morning. And so we're going to see some great lessons this morning on pride and humility and the power and sovereignty of God. And uh, I want us also to particularly notice Daniel's role in all of this. This is the testimony of Nezer. This chapter is actually him writing a letter out to his whole kingdom with his testimony. But also Daniel, he, ex- he exhibits a fantastic attitude of compassion for this king, for this prideful, sinful king. And I think we'll have a lot of things we can take away for our lives. So let's read together. You can open your Bibles or your electronic device with your Bible on it and uh, follow along with Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world, peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. Now, for the first time, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, I just thought it felt good for this chapter. I usually read from New King James. So if it sounds a little different to you, um, it's New Living Translation. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. This is a second dream. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed, so I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream. Uh, You remember in chapter 2 how well that turned out, right? Same deal here. At last, but they could not tell me what it meant. And at last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. Nazareth's kingdom at this time was flourishing. It was greening. There was no significant problems at the time. He had peace. The empire was very settled, no serious attacks, everything flourishing. And this is probably between his 30th and 35th year of reigning. Um, Chapter 4 takes place about 25 to 30 years after the fiery furnace. So uh, some time has gone by, and Daniel's about 
45 to 50 years old now, so there's a, there's a little bit of time gap here between chapters 3 and 4. And now God brings this second dream to him. He's in comfort. He's in peace. He's in prosperity. And now this dream comes. And it's very troubling. It panics Nezer. Uh, his comfort and rest has changed to fear. And this dream is one that no one can interpret, at least none of the usual wise men. And I just kind of thought, can you believe Nezer keeps bringing in these guys after what happened in chapter 2? Uh, you know, it's the same bunch of losers that, uh, you know, couldn't help before. And he calls in Daniel last again. But, you know, this is, this is God giving the victory and God showing how great he is and that the world's wisdom is foolishness and that there is only one God who can give true wisdom. Now, so Daniel, he recognized, has the spirit of the holy gods in him. You know, and Daniel must have lived a, such a pure, such a virtuous, such a godly life. You know, and he served closely under Nezer this whole time. And Nezer recognizes that in Daniel. And so he says, you have the spirit of the holy gods in you. And here's the dream. Verse 10. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar. That was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me, because of the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish... The events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. I just want to talk for a minute before we go any further about Daniel's compassion, the compassion of Daniel. You know, you maybe heard and seen the wisdom of Daniel, but, but have you thought about and understood the compassion of Daniel? He says, may this happen to your enemies, Lord, not to you. You know, we might feel the same way when we have to share bad news. You know, part of the gospel is bad news. You know, sharing the gospel is also sharing about the sinfulness of man, the judgment of God, and those aren't things we just enjoy and love doing, but it's part of the message. It's a message from God, and so we do. And when we do it, it must always be done with a spirit of compassion and sadness for the lost, like Daniel had here for this king. You sense the compassion in these words, the sadness in his voice. I wish this could happen to someone else, king but this is the word of the Lord. And that's what we must do when we're taking the message out. And, you know, we're no more deserving than anyone. We're not just out to preach judgment, but that's the message. 
there is a judgment coming on this world, and it's with compassion and, and, and a passion for the lost that we go do this. And um, let's see what Daniel says next here. Verse 20. The tree you saw growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to the Lord my King. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. It's not a bad message, one he didn't like delivering, but just hear this pleading with this sinner. This king is under a sentence of doom for seven years. Seven periods of time is seven years. And Daniel pleads with the king to stop sinning, to do what's right, to break from his wicked past, be merciful to the poor, because maybe, maybe God would still have mercy. You know, he's calling for Nebuchadnezzar to repent, to turn from his sin, to turn to the Lord to accept the righteous standard, to begin to be merciful. You know, and by the way, we don't have time to go into it, but King Nezer was a very merciless, murderous king. And so there was so much to change. But maybe God would have mercy, so Daniel pleaded. And you know, that must be our desire too. We must have a deep desire and passion to see people come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We must plead with people to stop sinning, to break from their wicked past, to turn to God. You know, maybe they won't listen. You know, we still must do it, and that's why we're here. It's a great privilege to be an ambassador of the Most High God. This is the Most High God who has redeemed us, who calls us into a ministry of reconciliation between sinners and the Holy God. And our mission here, we've said this year, is leading people everywhere into a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. God calls us to be pleading with sinners to come into a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 28, all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. 
That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Let's talk about the judgment of God for a minute. That's a very descriptive passage, isn't it? (laughs) This greatest man, this greatest king, this most prideful king, reduced to eating grass like a cow, wild in the field for seven years. You know, God may delay judgment so long, but eventually he brings it to pass because he's always faithful to his word. You look back on Sodom and Gomorrah, only four escaped. He did it with the worldwide flood in Noah's day. He gave him 120 years and only eight souls were saved. He did it with Nineveh. He gave them 40 days and they repented at the preaching of a reluctant prophet named Jonah. And they were spared then, but then within 100 years they had turned their back to God and were living in sin, and God destroyed them. And God gave Nebuchadnezzar another 12 months from when the dream was interpreted. Another 12 months here, but he still didn't listen to the word of God, and he just proclaims his greatness and his power. Sure, Babylon was a great city. Sure, he was a great king. But the Lord is going to teach him that he is the one who gave him that power. The only reason he had that great power was because God gave it to him. God gave him the mind of a wild animal for seven years. He lived in the fields of the with the animals. He ate grass like a cow, his hair as long as eagle's feathers, his nails like bird's claws. How great are you looking now, Nezer? Not so great, huh? You know? It's a bit humbling. You know, medically speaking, there is a, there is a condition. I, this is, I like looking at this kind of stuff. It's called boanthropy. And uh, there, there's some medical cases documented where a human for a period of time has had the mind of a bull or a cow, and it's called boanthropy, and they like to eat grass and all that stuff. My, my son came and, uh, you know, said that my six-year-old niece, Julia, has boanthropy when I was telling him this story. And I, and I said, no, she doesn't have boanthropy. And, you know, next time you see, your, see a kid's chewing with their mouths open at the table, uh, making some animal-like noises, and sometimes Daddy joins in with that, but, you know... Um, Maybe that's a good opportunity to kind of segue into the story in Daniel chapter 4. And you can tell them the story of King Nezer. So, anyways. One day, judgment is coming on sin to the whole world. And listen to the words of 2 Peter 3, 8-13. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a, as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This clearly says that God's delay in bringing a judgment, if you can call it that, is really his long-suffering toward us. He, he has, his temper has a long fuse, doesn't it? If we got what we deserved as a human race, it would have happened a long time ago. His, his temper has a long fuse. And he's waiting. He's waiting for all his people to come to repentance. 
Sin is running its course, sure, but only for a time. And like a thief in the night, there will be sudden judgment one day. Everything will not continue as it always has. You know, if we were to catch a vision of this future, this reality, I think if we were to really grasp what the Bible says about judgment, I think that would change us. Priorities would be realigned. Perhaps we would be serious about holy living. Perhaps we would be serious about our mission to lead people everywhere into a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ because there is judgment coming. Nebuchadnezzar has come to the end of himself. Verse 34, here's the turning point. This is exciting. After this happened, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up into heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. You know, King David, if he was still around, uh, he could have added this one to his book of Psalms, couldn't he? I mean, these words are from the lips of this great, powerful, prideful King Nezer, now a worshipful, a worshiper of the true God. And he's restored to his throne, and he has even more majesty than before, just as the dream had said. They sought him out, they put him back in power, and he's worshiping the Most High God. I think Nezer is a believer at this point. Don't you? I, I don't know. That's my guess. I think so. They sought him out, and he's, a, he's in power again, but not as a prideful king, but as a humble worshiper, worshiper of the Most High God. And You know, before he acknowledged God as a powerful God, as the Most High God of the Jews, but now, this time, he's acknowledging him, accepting him as the one true God, his personal God. You know, salvation is more than just acknowledging that there is a God going to church, believing that he is, that Jesus came and died. Salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You acknowledge him as your personal Lord and Savior. Because God is the only one who sent his son Jesus Christ to make a sacrificial sin payment by his death on the cross. And I just think this is wonderful that Nezer's saved. Um, and I think someday it'll be great to hang out with Nezer and Daniel in heaven and with the other three and kind of talk about how this all went down. Um, that'll be fun, I think. And, you know, Daniel may be the author of this book of Daniel, but chapter 4, it's all Nezer and what God did in this man's life. And so a little bit of practical application. I want us to listen to and hear as we close here. Listen to what the Most High God is saying to us here this morning. We can learn a lot from this chapter. And first of all, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Could we say it any better? The Bible says it the best. James 4.16. Because God can and will humble the proud and God can and will restore the humble. And we must be careful not to build our own empires, to crown ourselves king of our lives. Any man, woman, or or young person of the world who sets up his own little empire of a life, calls on top of it, and calls himself king, well, um, God might not give you the mind of a wild animal, but he defies that person. 
He defies that person, and there will be a day of judgment one day. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. That's what we trust in. To uh, have compassion for those facing judgment. We must preach this message of judgment, but with a broken spirit and a compassion for the lost. And just look at Daniel's example. Three, we present the truth of judgment and the hope of salvation. This is Daniel did. If you turn from your way, if you turn from your sin and be merciful to the poor, perhaps there be your kingdom will last a little longer. You know, we, we present the truth of judgment, but also the hope of salvation. If you would just turn from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved from coming judgments because the judgment for you will be paid by that sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And four, don't forget that there is still hope for the most hopeless, the most prideful person you know. might not seem like it. They've just gone down so far on the wrong path. doesn't seem like they'll ever turn around or come back to the Lord. But just think of how we'll meet the likes of Nebuchadnezzar and Saul, who persecuted the Christian church in the New Testament. We'll meet those people in heaven. There's hope for the most hopeless person. Keep being faithful to pray for and witness to that person in your life. And fifthly, judgment will come. Twelve more months Nebuchadnezzar had, maybe another thousands of years, or could be very soon. We, we don't know, but judgment will come, just as the flood came one day on the whole earth. While things were still just going on as usual, people marrying, drinking, eating, living their own lives, but judgment came. You know, God, you kind of wonder why it's going on so long like this, why sin is allowed to just wreak havoc on this earth for so long. But you know it's only for so long because there is a day when God is coming and, and will return in judgment. And he will set things right. And, you know, there's so much more detail we could cover with this, with the tribulation, the, the millennium, the great white throne. Uh, can't possibly get into that this morning. But if you would like some guidance in exploring the great realities of what the Bible says about our future and about the future of the earth, I'd recommend to you that you get and read the a book called The Seven Last Things. It's a newer book by Dr. David McLeod of Emmaus Bible College, The Seven Last Things. And we went through this as a small group on Wednesday nights one time here, and uh, just terrific, powerful, clear explanation of prophecy and the end of the book of Revelation. Very uplifting to your faith. And last of all, remember that God is in charge. Who's the boss? God's the boss. He's the one who is totally in control of this world when we sometimes feel like it's totally out of control. God has everything going according to his divine calendar, his time scale, and we can ultimately trust in him for the future of our nation, of our world, of our lives, and uh, he will make everything right in the end. Let's just commit our time to the Lord. Father in heaven, we praise you as the most high God, the holy God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God above all. And Lord, we... uh, are just so humble and so privileged to be called your servants, to know you as our Lord and Savior. We, we don't deserve this. Lord, we deserve your judgment. And Lord, we just thank you for redeeming us, for rescuing us from our sin. Lord, thank you for your compassion and love for us. And Lord, may that create in us a sense of urgency about going out into this world and leading people everywhere into a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Give us a compassion and just a thirst and passion to see the lost come to know you because judgment is coming. So, Lord, this Friend Sunday is coming up. Lord, maybe there's a couple people in our lives you'd 
you'd have us bring here so they can hear the truth and hear about you. And Lord, maybe there's someone that we've, we've just known for so long and they've gone down the wrong path so long, like this Nezer who was the most prideful king. Whoever thought he would have come to you as your worshiper, but he did. And so, Lord, there's hope for the hopeless, for the most lost in this world. And give us a vision for that, Lord. We're your ambassadors. We're so privileged to be that. And it's by your grace alone. Lord, we now transition into a time of communion here. And, and Lord, the saints will come up together and worship you in taking the bread and the cup, which reminds us so clearly of that sin payment made for us on the cross. We're just so thankful for that, that gift of life, eternal life. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we, they'll just stay seated while we come up, but we just ask you, Lord, to open their mind and heart to you, the reality of you as the Most High God and that you've provided a way for them to be forgiven, to have eternal life. And uh, Lord, may they do so today. May they not delay another day. We don't, we don't know when Judgment Day is coming. So we thank you. We commit ourselves into your hands. May you work your perfect work in every life here this morning through the preaching and power of your word. In Jesus' name.